you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn it to 2 Kings. I'm going to be reading out of 2 Kings chapter 6 in just a moment. You know, scripturally, God uses the natural at times to unveil, hopefully to our eyes, the spiritual. That is, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. Now, I want to give you just a couple of examples, at least in my opinion, of things that God uses in order to hopefully unveil the eyes of people. Many of you will remember just several weeks ago, uh, there outside of Minneapolis-St. Paul, there was a great bridge collapse on I-35. And, of course, it made national news, the tragedy of so many people perishing, the unexpectedness of the failure uh, are uh, going about as with business as usual as the American public crossing bridges and going about our business with just sort of this expectation that no matter what we cross or where we go, everything will just be fine and perfect and in working order. And we found out very quickly that it doesn't matter what man puts up, it can come down. And um, we also, at least I also saw here just within the last week or so, In our own local newspaper, because of the bridge collapse in Minneapolis, they began to do some research on bridges in the state of South Carolina. And to be candid with you, I've really started thinking about crossing bridges. Because it sounds like there's a lot of work that needs to be done on some of our bridges. Now, let me just say this to you. As all of this happened and as it got the attention of a nation, number one is whenever we see tragedy, I don't believe God causes tragedy. Um, So I'm not going to get into the whole issue of where God is at the moment tragedy occurs, except to say I'm not, I don't believe he's the causer of it. But I do believe that these things can be a sign. And, And the sign that I began to see out of that collapse of that bridge is that there is a decaying, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, there is a decaying and a collapsing of the infrastructure of people's lives in America. It's not just bridges that are falling down. Marriages are falling down. Families are falling down. Relationships are falling down. Bridges that used to extend to one culture to another, one race to another. Bridges are falling down. And the point is that we're not connecting anymore and these things are falling down and we're going about like it's business as usual. That's what I hear the Spirit saying, see. And so that's a natural happening to unveil a spiritual truth. Let me give you another one. And I can't go into all the detail. I'm going to leave you with a little story that you're all going to want to know the detail on and I might, I might tell you later. But just this week, I had, I had a deception take place to me, not through me, to me with regards to benevolence. Now, I've been doing the work of ministry for almost 28 years now And up to this time, I've been pretty good at smelling out a scam. Um, God has given me the ability to smell a scam. But there was a deception that was perpetrated and um, ended up giving this person money and finding out that it was all a big deception and a hoax. And I tell you what, I was just irritated. It's, It's one thing to deceive people based on their greed... You know how people, you know, a get-rich-quick scheme? And so you're deceiving a person because you're soliciting off their greed. 
But to deceive someone based on their compassion, I just think that's despicable. So uh, anyway, I got snagged. I hadn't been snagged in years. And so I was kicking myself because I got snagged. And, you know, the amount of money was so small, it just, it's, it's just incidental to the subject. The part is, is when you feel violated. And so I said, well, Lord, what, what's, what's going on here? What's the deal? And, and I'll tell you what, I didn't get it until this morning as I was just sort of reading over the notes again. What the Lord began to speak to me, minister to me, he said, just you remember that, the, that I said that there would be a deception loose in the earth of such magnitude that it would deceive the very elect if it were possible. Let me tell you something, a, a benevolent scam isn't the only scam we'll have. And I thought, yes, sir. And I say all that to lead up to this point. I'm going to read out of 2 Kings chapter 6 because we're going to see a story here that I have read for years. I've read this story over more times than I can count. I've blown by it. It's just been an interesting story to me. I never have preached about it until not long ago I preached on it at another church where I was speaking at. The Lord showed me some things in it. But I, I, I have never ministered this or preached this story uh, to any of you all I know and never in my life aside from just a few weeks ago. And, and the reason being is, is because it's just a story that has such natural things going on in it. And, and you read it and you say, oh, okay. And you sort of go on to the rest of the, the chapter and the rest of the Bible. And it, you, know, you find a lot more exhilarating, encouraging, awesome things that you sort of miss what might be going on here. And the Lord just stopped me here in 2 Kings chapter 6 and took this verse, these verses in the life of Elisha and some folks that were around him, of losing an axe head, just sort of a natural happening as they're working in the ministry. They lost an axe head and began to speak some incredibly important things to me. And I want you to have ears to hear this morning because it's a very natural story that's going to have some great spiritual repercussions. And so if you have your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 6, let me read to you the account. And then I think you'll understand why I've titled it like I have. It says, 2 Kings 6 and 1, it says, And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there. And let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. When they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. That, that sounds like a fairly natural happening, doesn't it? I borrowed some tools. I broke it. Oh, no. Verse 6. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed in the place... So he cut off a stick, threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and he took it. And I want to share with you what I've entitled, and I think you'll get sort of the pun that I'm intending. Have you lost your edge? Have you lost your edge? Now, it's an odd little story, as I mentioned, and I started to ask myself, Lord, what's the point? What are you trying to teach us here? What does it mean? 
And the short answer is this. It's a story about trying to do the work of the Lord, trying to accomplish a vision, trying to do your best to put something in motion for the Lord, and then losing your edge. Ministry in those days was done by what we would call mentoring. Maybe we would call it apprenticeship. I don't know how many of you have ever watched Donald Trump and The Apprentice, but I will assure you that in no way resembles apprenticeship as it occurred in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. If you wanted to learn a trade, if you wanted to learn a vocation, you didn't go off to school, you didn't go to carpenter school, you didn't go to plumber school, you didn't go you know, to brick mason school. You hung around with someone who knew the trade and they would teach you or apprentice you or mentor you in that trade in order that one day you might do that for yourself. Well, the same went with regards to spiritual things. If you felt like you had a call in your life, if God was calling you, if he was leading you into the ministry, uh, there may have been places to have gone, and I know in the religious system of the day there were what we would call seminaries, and, and Paul was one who said that he was the Pharisee of a Pharisee, and he actually went to some of the rabbinical schools of the day. But how many of you know, Paul didn't do any good until he got knocked off his horse, and he went to the house of Ananias, and Ananias trained him for the work of the ministry. And so apprenticeship, mentoring, has, a, has an incredible value when it comes to doing the Lord's work. And so here we find Elisha, who had a group of aspiring prophets around him, who were being trained, apparently, in the work of the ministry. Now, this is how Elisha was trained. Elisha hung around Elijah, as you will recall, as well as the sons of the prophets. Elijah had this group, and he trained all of them, Elisha being the most notable one. Now, he is the head, the spiritual dad, so to speak, and, and now he has this group that he's beginning to mentor. And now Elisha is in a big-time ministry. And what I mean by that is, as many of you know, that Elisha's ministry eclipsed even that of Elijah. Now, Elijah was big time. Elijah did incredible miracles. You'll remember, he, he did things of, of, of just absolute, incredible, nation-shaking proportion. But Elisha actually begins to do double that which Elijah did. I mean, he's raising the dead. He's multiplying the little bit of oil and, and flour that people have. I mean, e e Elisha is... is a notable minister in that particular area. He had a reputation. And so it should come as no surprise that if that kind of an anointing was on his life and that type of ministry was taking place, that he probably would have gathered quite a, a number of people that would have said, well, if God's called me into the ministry, then I'd like to get a little bit of that on me. And so here they are all working and walking and learning and watching. And all of a sudden in this process that's going on, the sons... Now understand, these were the sons of the prophets, these were the sons in the ministry, decided that wherever they were located at that particular moment was too small, the Bible says, in verse 1. They look at Elisha and they say, Elisha, we just want to tell you the place where we're at is just too small. Now when I first read that, I thought to myself that maybe they were like on a Nicaragua mission trip, that maybe they were in bunk beds and they were just crowded and there wasn't any place to move and there wasn't any room to do the work and... And so just, just sort of the, the square footage wasn't enough. That's kind of what I saw when I first read that. We need more square footage. But I began to study that word there, and the word small really has nothing to do with square footage. It has everything to do with them saying, the place where we are, well, it's just too insignificant. It's not very notable. 
Nobody knows where we are. It's a hard place to get to. There's really not much going on here. It's, it's just sort of a, a, a little insignificant on the other side of the track kind of a place. And so, Elisha, we've just sort of been talking amongst ourselves and we feel because what you have to offer is of such significance, you're needing more visibility, you're needing more notoriety, you're needing a little bit more, you know, splash and glitz. So I tell you what we need to do. We need to move this place to the Jordan. Now, that's really kind of an interesting thing because you need to understand in those days, the Jordan River was sort of like the interstate of the first or whatever this is, 6th century B.C. I mean, everybody had to go to the Jordan sometime. You had to go get your water at the Jordan. You had to wash your clothes there at the Jordan. I mean, everybody eventually came to the Jordan for some reason. The river was life to the community all around. So if you were to have built a ministry near the Jordan, you'd know instantly everybody would know who you are, where you are, and what you are about. And so what happens is they decide that they're going to move it to the Jordan, and so they're moving it to the Jordan, they're working on getting things all set up there, and all of a sudden, as they're working in building and, and cutting down some trees, this guy that had borrowed an axe, suddenly, as he's working, breaks off his axe head, and it spins off into the Jordan River, and it's a murky, kind of a muddy-type river, and he can't find it, he can't see it, and he borrowed the tool, and all of a sudden, he's upset, and he's got to figure it out, and he sees all these things going on in the natural, but he never gets what's going on in the spiritual, because he just didn't lose an axe head but they were beginning as a ministry and as a people and even as an individual beginning to lose their edge. Concerning the ways of God and the things of God and how God works. Forgive the pun, but when you lose your edge, things will shut down fast. Has there ever been a time, just be honest with yourself, and I'll explain this more, but but as you're beginning to get just some revelation or understanding, have you ever felt at some time in your life like you've lost your edge when it comes to the things of God? There, there, there ought to be an edge. Now, I, listen to me. I didn't say you weren't working hard at it. I didn't say you weren't trying to be productive. I, I, weren't, I wasn't saying that there's anything, you know, you're, 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 you're maybe innocent or, or you're your, whatever it is, your motive may be somewhat good in trying to do something for God, but truth of the matter is you've got no edge when it comes to the things of the Spirit or the things of God. Now let me, if you aren't getting it yet, let me just take a minute and sort of elaborate on what I mean by losing your edge. If you were to go to the dictionary and you were to look up the word edge, there, there'd be all sorts of definitions there. One definition would be an extreme border. If you're, you're at the extreme border of something, like this platform, there's an edge. That could be one definition. Um, an edge could be the rim of something. Um, an edge could be the side of a blade. But there was one definition that I'm just using as a pun in order to make a point here. And it's this. An edge, in some people's definition, is what we would call an advantage. An advantage. Have you ever thought about what people do to get an edge, to get an advantage? You know, in the day that you and I live in, there are a lot of, let's just say, athletes, because it's been of such notable proportion, who may take a steroid or may take some growth hormone 
And they do this in order to get an edge in whatever athletic event or sport they're playing in. So they do something to get this edge. Businesses want an edge. They find ways that they can get an edge or an advantage over their competitor by doing certain things. Sometimes they can be legal. Sometimes they can be illegal. Sometimes we'll get a CPA or a tax accountant because we, we want an edge when it comes to our taxes. We, we need an advantage. Is there something I can do in order to position myself to, to have an advantage? Have you ever watched, even at the workplace, some of you that work maybe in a larger business or a corporation, have you ever seen someone in the office do things in order to get an edge in a promotion or an edge in a raise or something like that? And sometimes it's legitimate and sometimes it's not. But truth of the matter is, when it comes to getting an edge, I believe there is a true spiritual edge for the people of God. I really do. I, I, I believe that we've been given an edge in the things of the Spirit in order to accomplish the work of God in the earth. It's not illegal. It is not unethical. But God has looked at his people. And because of our relationship with him, he tells us that he will give us a divine advantage. He will give us a divine edge that enables us in, in a favorable, notable, supernatural way to begin to accomplish the purposes of the kingdom. And can I just share, this is what I believe, for instance, some spiritual edges would be. If you hear God's voice and he gives you direction and you're able to make a decision that other people are blind to, does that not give you an edge? Is there not an edge in having a word of knowledge? Is there not an edge in, in the spirit of discernment? Is there not an edge when it comes to facing the, the schemes of the enemy, whether it be in, in diseases or, or challenges or obstacles? Do we not have, by divine right, a certain edge with regards to dealing with these issues in the earth? I believe we do. I believe we have an edge as the people of God. But here's the question. The question is, have you lost your edge? Have you lost your edge with the things of the Spirit? And this is the greater question. Do you care and does it matter? I started to think about this. Because to be candid, the era which you and I live in is probably the most rational, logical, natural era we have ever lived in. We wanted to make sense, make sure everything is nice and tidy and neat. And all the things, you know, we just want that. And, and, and it's interesting because where, I'm just wondering where we got that. I can tell you where we got it. We got it from Aristotle. We didn't get it from Jesus. And so we've got to begin to recapture the things of the Spirit. Because I want to ask you a question. If you and I right here do not carry the edge of the Spirit, then who is? Now maybe someone else will pick it up and, and will carry it. And I believe God always has those in every generation that have had a heart to demonstrate and do those sorts of things. But with everything inside of me, I want for my life and I want for your life to be that group which we will be the people that God is looking for that have their edge in the things of the Spirit. So when someone is bound, we can set them free. Or when someone is sick, we can get them healed. Or when someone's trying to pull a scam, I'll get it. Amen. And I guess it just reminded me that we're living in an era that the enemy is getting more and more skilled at what he's doing. And we're going to have to be sure we're becoming more and more adept in the things of the Spirit.
And before we can get it back, can I just suggest to you first, how did they lose it? Sometimes I think if we can figure out how we lost it, then obviously we can keep from doing that. But, but we at least need to repent from those things that we may have entered into in order that we might embrace those things that we need to do. How did they lose it? And I began to notice as I was reading 2 Kings chapter 6, really not so much what was here, but you know, sometimes when I read the Bible, it's interesting, you'll read a story and you'll get all kinds of things coming out of you from the, from the word. But every now and then, I'll read, and it's just interesting to me, not so much what's there, but what's not there. In, in fact, there are certain things that began to speak to me that were conspicuously absent from this particular portion of Scripture. And, and I think what's not said here can be just about as important as what was said. And I want you to consider this as I just share some things with you I noticed out of this story. Here they are, wanting to do a work for the Lord, but... It's interesting that nowhere in this particular passage, it's the only set of verses we find dealing with this particular incident of wanting to move from where they're at to the Jordan, but nowhere in this particular passage was there any praying going on or seeking of the Lord. There was no prayer or seeking of God. They just said this seemed like a thing to do. So my question was, was this God's will or was it just a good idea? They are more concerned, it seems, that they be seen by everyone at the Jordan, then they be seen by God in what needs to be done wherever they are. You know, the Jordan was a convenient location, so because it's a convenient location, therefore it must be God's will. Does anybody think that sounds strange, hearing it said out loud? Or is it just me? Just because it's convenient doesn't necessarily make it the Lord. You know what's interesting to me? You could have a convenience store setting two blocks from your house. And it would be more convenient for you to do all your shopping at that convenience store. But it's interesting to me how people will drive a certain amount of miles in order to get to the grocery store they want to shop at. Because they get to save a dime on Del Monte. That's just amazing to me. Whereas for us, when it comes to that which is vastly more important, if it's spiritual, it's got to be convenient because God knows he wouldn't inconvenience me. Now you have to understand, they're thinking of all kinds of things. They're saying, Elisha, man, if we, if we build down at the Jordan, think of the, think of the hay costs, the straw costs that people will save, bringing their horses and donkeys. They won't have to come out here. You can, you can hear it all happening. And they never stopped, they never prayed, they never sought God. And, and the truth of the matter is, and I'll talk to it just in a moment, Elisha got it, but I'm not sure the rest of them did. There was no prayer or seeking of the Lord. Number two, there was no faith exercised. Isn't that interesting in that particular passage? I see faith nowhere. Everything they would need was readily available. There were other times in Elisha's ministry and life that, you know, Things had to happen supernaturally, but there's no faith for anything here. They wouldn't have to believe God for anything. God already had. He already grew the trees up. He, I can borrow the axes. And, and so there was no faith being exercised. And you know, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's in the Bible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Listen to me, folks. If you want to please God, he's going to ask you to do some things in faith. He's going to ask you to do some things that, that, that are going to be beyond, you know, just reason all the time. 
He's going to ask you to step into some things that you're going to have to trust him and believe him and know that he is who he says he is. And that's called faith. And that's how you please him. You don't please him by saying, Lord, make it make sense. Then I'll follow you. I'll go with you all the way. As long as you keep making it make sense to me, I'll follow you. That isn't the word of God. Amen. Thank you very much. Number three, there was no sacrifice with regards to the vision here. They didn't have to sacrifice for anything. There was nothing that they had to, to stretch on, to sacrifice. Can I just share this with you? You're going to lose your edge in the things of the spirit if you omit faith and you omit sacrifice. You're just, you're just going to lose those opportunities for God to do incredible things in you and through you. And so you need to begin to embrace that. And then finally, I put down here, there was no real covering of the decision. This is the part that just started to speak to me, and maybe it's just the way I kind of looked at it, but the sons of Elisha never asked him what he thought. It's interesting, they just come up to Elisha and they just declare certain things. They just declare certain things, their opinion, as fact. This is what they say. They say, the place here is too small for us. We need to go somewhere else. We need to do this, Elisha. It just makes sense. And it's interesting because as I read it, what Elisha said was this. He said, go. He didn't say, you're right. He said, go. Interesting. Elisha was saying, well, do what you want. Y'all just do what you want. Obviously, you're not listening. You're not asking. I know that because... The next verse is they want to make sure he's going with them. In the very next verse, after he says, they say all this, he says, go. And then they say right here, they said, they said, uh, please consent to go with your servants. It's something's being communicated facially. My wife says that I have to watch my facial expressions. She says, you may say the right thing, but your face is saying something else. So you've got to get, you've got to get, you know, an anointing on your face. So I kind of understand how this works here. So Elisha's going, go. I mean, think about this just for a minute. God bless you. I, I mean, I might have said God bless you, but that ain't communicating there, right? And that's exactly what's going on. He said, okay, you go ahead and, you go ahead and do that. But it, it communicated something that, that the rest of them said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're going to come too, right? You're going to go too, right? And, and it says here that Elisha goes with them. And, and I thought to myself, well, does that mean that he, he agreed with all this? And, and you know what? I don't know whether he did or he didn't, and I'm probably taking some liberty here. But I'll tell you this much. I think Elisha was going along for the lesson. Every now and then, it's interesting. I'll just tell you, maybe it happens as a parent, and I'm sure it happens if you're, you know, maybe you're in your own business and you have employees. I know it happens as a pastor. Every now and then, when people ain't asking, you just smile and say, God bless you. And you kind of walk, just kind of with them, and just kind of say, because I, I want to see this thing crash. You ain't paying attention to me. You ain't listening to me. But I, don't, I wouldn't miss this crash. This one's going to be a beauty. And I've had people say this to me through the years. They say, well, why didn't you tell me? Number one is, if I would have, you, you didn't want to hear it. You, you didn't want to hear me say that. You didn't want to hear me tell you what I really thought. I could tell it from your facial expression. You weren't, looking, you weren't looking for input. You were looking for affirmation. You weren't looking for real direction. You were looking for someone to say, pat you on the back and just say, go for it. 
And that's not that you don't need those things from time to time, but there comes a moment that you've got to understand that, that you've got, when you're beginning to make a decision and move forward, I mean, is, is covering real or not? Is it real or not? And so Elisha just decides he's going to go along, and it's a good thing he did because he ends up teaching a great lesson here. And each of these areas I mentioned are critical. They are critical for retaining your edge in the things of the Spirit, and I believe that the vision of God has an edge to it. It has an edge to it. We, we as the people of God in America in the 21st century, we believe that God has got to work the way we want him to work in America, and God's about up to here with America. America doesn't move the Lord. We may think it moves the rest of the nations of the world, but it doesn't move the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how much our budget is, how great our economy is. It doesn't matter who's in the White House, who got elected to this or that. It doesn't move God at all. He just laughs. And we've got to understand that's who we're tied into. So we've got to get a hold of what he wants to do. So how do you get it back? Let me give you a couple things here. And I, I, I'm just, I'm going to share a few things, maybe be a little transparent. You know, transparency for me isn't always the easiest. But uh, sometimes it's helpful for you maybe to understand what's going on in your life. And maybe if I get a little transparent, somebody else will jump in the water and join me in that. And, and I'm believing that to be the case. So uh, it's, it's a free place to live if you really get there. You know what? When you finally get to the place where you can be honest in the light, I mean, it's a free place to live. I encourage you to get there. Amen. Number one, how do I get it back? Number one, you got to first admit you lost your edge. That's what's the interesting thing. When, when, that, when that iron axe head jumped into the Jordan, the first thing that son of the prophet had to do was he had to admit that he lost his edge. This is, this is what's interesting. Would it not be funny to have this long handle with no axe head on the end, and there he was without the axe head, just with that long hand, just beating the fire out of a tree. So what are you doing? Well, trying to cut down a tree. Working for the Lord here. Just working away at it. Working hard, too. See me sweat? I'm working hard at this. You're just beating a hound out of that tree. Don't have an axe head on it, but boy, you're swinging it hard. You're swinging it diligently. Doing it all for the glory of God. But there's no axe head. I just started thinking about that. I thought about my own life. I just thought about church life. I just think about all kinds of things. And I thought, how many times are we beating our, not, not an axe handle, sometimes we're beating our heads on things. I mean, I, and we just beat ourselves away and ain't nothing moving, ain't nothing happening, ain't nothing falling down. There's no progress being made, but we sure enough working hard at it. You know, you know why it's like that sometimes? It's because you've lost your edge. And you might be unwilling to admit it. You know what, I've lost my edge. It's not like it used to be. God used to show up, God used to do things, God used to move. There used to be a supernatural dimension, but somehow or another, I've lost the edge. You know, years ago, and all of you know the story, years ago I, I grew up in a denominational setting, went to their schools, was trained by that particular denomination eventually pastored in those circles. And I came to this point. It was in Oakland, California. When I eventually came to this point, I was fixing to have a nervous breakdown. I'd come home, people, you know, we're being people. I've come to find out it doesn't matter if they're Nazarene, Baptist, Catholic, Episcopalian, Lutheran. It don't matter. People, just people. 
People, I mean, good, bad, ugly. People, just people. And people were just being people. And I'd reached the place where you're working hard at it, doing everything you know to do, but it had brought such, such discouragement and such depression. I'd find myself in a darkened room, rocking. In, 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 a, in, in just, in a, well, Tracy was very, very concerned for me until finally the moment came. She kind of used the same words, those lepers that were sitting around. She said, will you sit there and die? <laughs> that, that'll get you up. Are you just going to sit there and die? Well, no, I don't want to die, I guess. So. And so I got up and I, I started to pursue some things. And, and it was through all those circumstances that God provided an opportunity for me to participate in what in that era was known as the charismatic renewal or spirit-filled circles. And I realize that word has kind of become passe now, but in those days that sort of identified the, the group that the things of the spirit were working in. And, and so uh, I was able to participate in that, and, and I was hired at a place called Evangel Cathedral, and, and it was there that I began to learn about the things of the spirit and get the edge of the spirit because you know what? I found out what working for God was like without the edge. And then to come back and see what could happen when the Spirit got involved in things was a life-giving thing. Then, of course, the time came, God opened a door, and I was able to come to Charleston, South Carolina. And, and you all know the story. Some of you are part of it. We're able to do some things here for the first five years, and, you know, God was good, and, and there was some success. But there's some things that started to happen to me that were imperceptible at first. Nobody else's fault but my own. But all of a sudden, instead of keeping my edge with the things of the Spirit, I, I began to be able to analyze charts and graphs, and I understood church growth method. I understood how certain things could be implemented and plugged in. And is there a place for those things? I'm quite sure there are. But I can remember one day awakening in my home and looking at myself in the mirror, and for that moment, there was like a flashback, and I saw who I had been, with an edge, and then I suddenly noticed who I now was without an edge. And suddenly looking at myself in a mirror, I had that epiphany that, that I'll just be honest with you, there are probably some in here this morning that need that same epiphany to take place at that moment. Because my epiphany was, what have you become? Who are you? What kind of a Christian are you going to be? You have lost your edge, and you need to admit it. You are where you used to be in the things of the Spirit, and it is now time you've got to where you need to be in the things of God. And it's time, this is the Holy Ghost, it's time, and he always calls me by my first name. He didn't call me pastor, by the way. I mean, the Holy Ghost said, Kevin, it is now time for you to get your edge back. And I'll just share this with you. When the Holy Ghost says something, and if you say no to him that knows what is right and does not do it, to him it is sin. You don't have a choice in this matter. And you've got to admit, it just, it's, I, I'm not where I was. I'm not like I used to be. There was a day I'd pray and I sensed God. There was a day when he would move and he would use. There was a day when I could speak his voice. There was a day when people were healed. There was a day when things were happening. I mean, we were on the forefront of what God was doing. But that day had long gone. I want to ask you right now. Are you looking back for more of your encouragement or do you have the edge of the spirit? And let me ask you this question. Are you humble enough to admit, maybe even starting this morning, that it ain't like it used to be in your life? That you're not where you used to be and God's not moving like he used to move and things don't kick like they used to kick. 
and all the things that you would love to see God do, it isn't happening like it used to happen. Can I suggest to you, it's not God's fault. You got to admit, and, and I'll give the guy credit here, he at least admitted that he lost his axe head. Number two, he had to get input from some authority. It's interesting, he didn't go ask his friends what he should do, he didn't go ask, you know, just someone walking along the street. He went to Elisha, and he said, I've lost my axe head. And he begins to get input. He begins to just open up. And can I ask you something here again this morning? And, and, and again, we're talking about getting our edge back. We're getting back to where the New Testament is and what God wants to do. But, but let me ask you this. Who can look you in the eye and tell you something you don't want to hear? Is there anyone in your life that can really tell you something you don't want to hear? I ask myself that question. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Who gets to tell you? Who gets to tell you that you ain't all that? Who gets to remind you of that? Who gets to tell you that you're off on a point? Who gets to tell you that you're wrong? Who gets to tell you that your axe head isn't on your handle anymore? Who gets to tell you that? Now, hear me. I don't believe everybody gets to tell you that. But I believe somebody needs to tell you that. And I believe that, that a lot of times we have to design our lives and we don't design our lives to let that kind of input come to our life. Because sometimes what happens is we get, we get in the spirit. I'm not saying we're deceived people. I'm just saying the atmosphere of deception is so prevalent in our culture that it's easy to get like I was this week scammed when you're just wanting to be compassionate. It's easy not to see what you think you need to see. And my question is, can anybody look at you and say, have you considered this? Because in America, most of us have now designed our lives where it's just me. We say it's me and Jesus. It's just amazing how Jesus never has an opportunity to really get through to us. And so we've designed our lives where nobody really gets to dig in and say, have you considered this? Not to hurt us and not to wound us, but to help us stay on target with the things of the Spirit. To me, I would think that would be a value. Amen. Three of us. Amen. Good. We will go on. Get input. Thank you. We'll keep getting amen. Amen. Well, that's why some people will say, they'll say, man, Pastor Baird, you shave clothes. Pastor Baird, you really gave it to us today. Pastor Baird, man, you can preach a really tough word every now and then. Well, can I just suggest to you, it's time pastors... Quit trying to figure out what makes you happy and starts looking at you and saying, has anybody ever thought to tell you? Because if, if we don't, what are we going to be? And even at this level, you can dodge me. You'll walk out of here and, and some will go, yeah, hey, pastor, he was on target today. Hallelujah. He preached up a storm today. And the whole time you don't know I was talking to you. You've lost your axe head. Wake up. You try to do it this way so it's not so personal. And then the Holy Ghost tries to make it personal and you just don't get him either. Amen. <laughs> Number three. We could ride that one for a while, but I'll let that one go. Number three. You got to go to back to the place you know you lost it. Where did it fall? I think this is important. I think you need to ask the Lord for revelation on where you lost your edge. Elisha looked at one of his sons there. He said that he lost his axe head. It was borrowed. And, and so in verse 6 here, Elisha said, well, where did it fall? Where'd you lose it? 
I believe it's important for you, if right now the Holy Spirit is working on you, and, and he's dealing with you and asking you the question, are you where you were you know, in days past? Are you where you, you, you need to be? As the Holy Spirit is, is working on you, it's easy to say, well, no, no, I'm not where I was. I, I'm not where I want to be. I really have. I think I've lost my axe head too. It's easy to say yes. It's hard for just a moment to go back and acknowledge where you lost it. Where did you lose it? Because this is why it's important. Once you find out where you lost it, number one is you won't lose it there again. Then number two is you, you must repent for the reason as to why you lost it. And once you can do that and you can close up that era, it can become the place where a miracle happens. Is that not right? So you need to go back to the place you know you lost it. And let me just share this with, and this is what I like. We've reached the place as a people, by and large. I realize everybody's at a different stage. So I know we've got people getting started in the, in the things of the Lord and in their faith. I realize, and I know folks have been walking it for some time. But, but this, at least by way of preaching, this is a good point. That sin is not as easy and as convenient as just those big things we always throw out. Sin is not as easy as just don't sleep around, don't fornicate, don't do adultery, don't be drunk, you know, don't do sorcery, don't do drugs. Um, I, mean, it, it, I mean, we could throw out, you know, there's, there's gossip. I mean, we can go down all the, the list of, of big things that we would say as sins to be avoided. But sin isn't as simple as that. Sin, listen to me, sin is also prayerlessness. Ah, now we're shaving close again, aren't we? Sin is selfishness. I mean, I mean, see what I'm saying? There comes a moment when God says, I'm glad you've got these big egregious things that, that damage your testimony. I'm glad, I'm glad these things are getting worked out and maybe are done in your life. I'm glad. But now it's not over with. I'm going to dig some more. And, I, and I'm going to start working with, with the pride and the ego and your self-centeredness and your selfishness. And I'm going to deal with some things that, you know what, are easily hid and easily dodged but they are things that are keeping your edge from reappearing. Amen. I'm telling you, that's how God works. It's not, just, it's not so easy as to just say, well, I've always done it this way, so why isn't God working? Well, you know what? He's growing you up. He's maturing you up. And that's why he wants you to go to the place that you lost. Number four, toss your stick in the water. What does that mean? Toss your stick in the water. God uses sticks in the Bible. Now, when I first started to read this, I thought to myself, well, you know, that stick could represent a lot of different things. You know, it could, it could represent the arm of the flesh or something, and you just kind of, you know, toss the arm of the flesh out there. It could represent all kinds of things. But I started to remember that God uses sticks in the Scripture. If you think about it, there are several moments that God uses a stick. For instance, when Moses was given a commission to go deliver the people of Israel, you remember what he was given? A staff, a stick. And, and it was through that staff, there was an authority represented, and it was where the power of God was represented, and that staff was used on numerous occasions by which to work the works of God. The second time, at least one of the times, was Aaron's staff. It, it bloomed one time. Now, remember why this is so important. It's because this stick is, is cut off from a living thing. And, and so here's this stick, which we would define as just a staff, 
it would be dead biologically. But here, Aaron has this thing, had it for some time, and all of a sudden, it begins to blossom. In other words, there's life in that dead thing. There's life in that, that seemingly inanimate object that, that's, that's there. And, and so here we find another instance where, where Elisha looks at one of his protégés and he says, go get you a stick and throw the stick in. I, I remember another one. Remember at Mirabah when the waters got bitter? They, they put some sticks in. They cut off a branch and they threw the branch in the water and it cleansed the bitterness out of the water. And, and so we see that happening again. And, and here's what I have come to believe in that imagery. I believe that imagery, that stick represents this stick right here. God used a stick in order to bring back his life and his power to his people. The stick is the cross, and let me just share this with you. The cross is the ultimate stick. The cross is that which brings power and miracles and life to that which seems lifeless. It's interesting that the Jordan River was a muddy, obscure river. It was hard. I mean, think about it. If the dude lost his axe head and he could have found it on his own, he'd have been in there trying to move through the water, trying to find his axe head. But it's just a muddy, obscure river. And here's Elisha who finally says, throw in the stick and the stick will raise up your, that edge again. It'll raise up that axe head and you'll be able to pluck it right out of the water. And I believe that the cross, that's the stick that we've got to get back into the waters of our culture, you see. That's the stick that God wants us to use in order to clear up that which is murky and obscure. It's the cross that raises up those things that have now become dormant and are obscured, but he can raise that edge up again. And God's wanting a people to be raised up by the power of this stick to get their edge back. And with that edge, begin to cut down those chains and those bondages again and set the people free. This stick is the stick. And it's time it got tossed back into the waters. Amen. The cross needs to be declared back into our culture. The cross is the only answer. The cross is where all provision has been made. Jesus, once and for all, took care of everything in your life and my life. And the Bible says it is the power of God. This stick is. And I'm telling you right now, this is the part that we were talking at, at a men's cell the other day, and it was a powerful moment when we were looking at each other, just sharing some things, and I, I talked to them about how there are areas we all struggle in, but the minute we look in an area of a life that we say, I can't overcome it, it's too much of a struggle, I, 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 it's just a part of who I am, I can't get by it, we have entered into a deception. Because what we're saying at that moment is that this cross cannot break that power. And that cross has become of no effect. And I break that deception over people and over you first. And it needs to be broken over this culture. That cross will bring power to our lives that will set you free from anything. Absolutely anything. You say, well, I don't... But pastor, I don't know. I don't feel that free. Then get back to the stick. That's the stick that needs to come again. Toss that stick. He tossed that stick into the water and the edge began to came, come back. I guarantee you, you hang around the cross, your edge will begin to come back. You start declaring the cross, the edge will begin to resurface again in your life. You declare the cross and let me tell you, nothing can stop the cross. The enemy cannot stop the cross. You know, just because Hollywood uses the cross to ward off vampires, it'll ward off lots more than that. 
And then finally, number five, you've got to pick the edge up for yourself. It says here in verse 7, therefore, Elisha said, pick it up for yourself. When that, when that axe head began to float up, that son in the ministry, that protege had to reach down and he had to pick it up for himself. I can't pick the edge up for you. I can only pick it up for me. But you've got to want to pick it up for yourself. You must decide whether or not you truly want to have the edge back of what God's doing in the earth and what he could do in your life. You can't pick up an edge for me. I can't pick it up for you. But once you determine you want it, you can reach down and begin to pick it up again. And once you begin to pick it up, I will assure you. How many of you know that that particular protege, if they went to work again, we don't hear how the story ended, but I guarantee you he swung an axe differently after that event. That's what we need to get back. That edge in the things of God, that edge of the spirit, that edge when you're working, you know there's miracle working power going on. That, that edge that you know that you're just not doing this because it seems like a good idea, but it's a, it's a God idea. You, you, you've got that edge again where everyone else in the culture sees it one way, but you see it a different way and it doesn't bother you because you see it a different way because you know what, how God sees it. It's getting that edge back, that edge edge of the things of the spirit i'm going to finish with this about five years ago some of you may have been there some of the guys may have been there um pastor lance johnson uh, over at revelation of christ came and had spoken to the men at a men's meeting and at that particular meeting it was early in the days of legacy and and he brought over this big staff this big stick and uh, he ministered on some things with regards to the staff and at the end of that time he asked me to come up and he put that staff in my hand and of course he prayed for me and and uh it was it was a powerful moment it was a good moment and he just left the staff with me he, in fact what he said was he said that he had been given that stick i believe from a from a mentor of sorts and now he was passing it to me and, and so I, I took it and it was meaningful and uh so after that what i did was i i do like what with what i do with a lot of things i stuck it in a corner and i let it sit there and for nearly five years, it sat in a corner. Now, this is what's really interesting, because I've gone through my office on numerous occasions throwing things out. You know, I'm kind of a person that if I don't use it for a while, I'll start tossing it out. But I never tossed that staff out. And I think partly it was because I, I knew I got it from Lance, partly because it was, it was a, a, an important moment, and I think partly because I just didn't think about it, and partly now I realize it was the Lord. But not, but a couple months ago, when God started dealing with me about this axe head stuff, uh, I was walking into my office and I saw that staff sitting in the corner. And all of a sudden, the Lord just spoke to me. And there were a couple things that actually got spoken. Number one is, uh, and I'm putting a couple things together, so bear with me. But Jim Rawlins, when he was here with us at one of our Roar Out of Zion conferences, he had prophesied that, that God was going to work in me through some of the weird acts of the prophetic. I'll never forget that phrase. The weird acts of the prophetic. Isn't it cool when God says, I'm going to use you to do something weird? Oh, yeah, we love that word, don't we? Oh, sweet Jesus, must you? And uh, I had that spinning in my mind, and I saw that staff sitting in the corner, and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. And, and I don't, you say, well, was it an audible voice? Listen, folks, I, I don't know if it's, it's audible in my head. 
That impression is so strong inside of me, I can say it was the Holy Spirit. And he said, I want you to take that staff and I want you to toss it in the waters right in the middle of the harbor. Well, Lord, I don't have a boat. You know plenty of people who do. You mean I don't get to go alone? <laughs> no, you don't get to go alone. So I grabbed several of the guys, told them I was going to go out in the harbor. I wanted to throw a stick. Amazingly, they were better with it than I was. I just, I don't know, that's really good. That was really good. And I remember that day, it was really a nice day, pretty much a smooth day. We went out right at the mouth of the harbor, right where, where the two points, and I, I don't know, it's just past uh, Fort Sumter. And we were setting out there, and it was, it was relatively smooth. And I was with the guys, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I was just trying to be obedient. Have you ever been that just trying to be obedient? Don't know what you're going to do, just trying to be obedient. Standing in the boat, they're all looking at me. I got a word of knowledge at that moment. They were going, what you going to do, Pastor? What you going to do? So I got, had this stick. And I said, you know, I don't know what to do except this. This is all I know to do. And I took that stick, and we began to pray. And, and, and I tossed the stick into the water. And I remember as I tossed the stick in the water and I began to pray, all I did, I, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm asking that out of this weird act, that you would raise that edge up in me again, in us again, and in our people again. Right out here in the middle of this harbor, we're going to throw this stick out and we're going to believe that, that you're going to raise that up. And I, I can't tell you that something floated up from the bottom. I can't tell you that. The one interesting thing that did happen was is that we didn't move. That, the boat we were in, just a, a normal fishing boat, um, and, and it, it didn't move. Its position didn't move at all. It was a still day. But that stick did a full circle around our boat. We didn't, we didn't move one single direction, but that stick just went full circle right around our boat. Just made a circle. And you know what I felt like when it was done and I thought about it later? That in that boat, see, that's what was raised up. It, it was what was in that boat. We were in the center of that. And that's what got raised up. That's, that's what God wants to do. He wants to do it in me. He wants to do it in you. And, and I know that was just one weird event and and, and I'm not saying all of you run out of here and go throw sticks in the harbor. I'm not saying for you to do that. I, I, don't, I don't know that that's even what you should do. Good Lord. I can, I can, I can see 200 people throwing sticks. Where do you go to church? Legacy. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. Some guy, some guy on the news, why were your people throwing all these sticks in the harbor? I know. We're just weird. I, you know, we just... But it's about getting an edge back. But what are, you, what are you willing to do to get an edge back? What are you willing to do to get your edge back? Because I'm telling you, there's one out there. there there's a work of God in, that can happen in the lives of people that will stop the normal man. And they'll look and they'll go, there's no other way to explain that except that's the Lord. That is the Lord. And as we wrap up this morning... We're going to wrap up with this. I'm going to pray right now. And I believe some things have been set in motion, and there may be some things you need to do as an individual person. And that's, if 
hey, that's between you and God. But, but we're going to pray before we're done here today that as a people who dwell together, that God's going to give us our edge back. We can pray that way. God, give us our edge back. Let us be on the edge of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Let us be on the edge of the revelation you're unveiling. Let us be on the edge of the signs and the wonders you want to unveil in the earth. Not just so we can say, look, there's a sign here, but so the harvest can come with full confidence that if they come, they can be set free by that stick. Amen. It's all we got is that stick. It's all we've got. I don't know if you want it, but I want it. And I want as much of it as I can get. Amen. Let's stand, shall we? Holy Spirit, you are honored in this place. Thank you this morning for, Lord, once again, penetrating through our hearts, penetrating through our minds, penetrating through just the activities of our natural, everyday existence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for penetrating through that for just a moment and talking to us about that which will require faith, that which will require sacrifice, that which will require prayer, that which will require honesty before you, Lord. Thank you for bringing us to that point because you've not brought us to that point in order to destroy us. You brought us to that point to free us and to give us life and for us to enjoy a dimension of existence that could not be without you. So, Lord, I pray right now as the Spirit of the Lord begins to move, that there would be something right now that would begin to happen that would begin to touch people's lives. Let them hunger, let them desire. Lord, I know there are people probably here that have worked hard at serving you. Lord, the, the, the thing I'm, I'm, I'm convicted of is how hard we can work for you and still not have our edge. And so the issue isn't how hard I work, the issue is how how open and yielded and broken I am for you to work through me. So Lord, help us. Help us to distinguish those things well. Begin to move, Holy Spirit, right now. Head bowed, eyes closed. And, and we like to do this. I do anyway. I don't always do it, but I'd say 90% of the time I, I, I always do this. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, you can't get your edge if you don't know the Lord. You can't get your edge if there's willful transgression or rebellion that's existed inside of you. you just, it just isn't going to work. Sin must be rendered inoperative first. And, and again, uh, I, I understand I'm not challenging doctrine here. I'm just giving you sound, sound doctrine right now that, that will tell you that sin, you miss the mark, you shut down the work of God, it alienates you from the life source, and it has to be repented from. And once it's repented from, and once you agree with God and you change your path as he enables you through his grace. Grace doesn't excuse you. Grace enables you to turn. God begins to open up his windows to work with you in very special ways. You may have failed a thousand times, but you can succeed this morning. Isn't that good news? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I got to deal with the sin issue first before we pray for the edge back. If you need, right now, before you go, just lift your hand up. I want to get right now with God, and I'm going to join you in prayer. Lift your hand up. I got hands going everywhere. All right, lift your hand. Thank you very much. Everybody with their hand lifted up, just, just right now with your hand lifted up, I want you to say to the Lord, you don't have to say it loud, but you have to say it to the Lord. Just say, Lord, that's me. Just say that to the Lord right now. That's me. Okay, put your hand down. 
Now I want everyone to pray this with me. There were, there were a number of hands that went up right now. And this is what I want you to pray. I want the whole congregation to join with me. And if you raise your hand, you must decide right now that you're going to link your sincerity and all your truthfulness and everything you've got. You are, you are fixing to trust this stick. Don't you trust your neighbor? Don't you trust anything but this cross to set you free and get you back right again? Amen. Let's all pray together. Everyone together say, Dear Jesus, you've knocked at my heart's door. And I'm answering it. I confess now my waywardness, my personal waywardness, my personal sin, my transgression, and my rebellion. I declare it wrong. Before you, I am sorry, not because I'm caught, but because it grieves you. And I'm deciding, as you're enabling... To confess you as Lord and Savior. By the power of the cross, cleanse me, forgive me, let me have a new start. I'm really serious this time. I believe with all my heart the power of the resurrection will raise me up. Just like that axe head. It'll raise me up to have an edge. In the things of God, I embrace that in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand real quick. Now, now here's the deal. And, and we do this, and I do this different from time to time, and this is what I'm doing right now. If you prayed that prayer and you were sincere in it, I, I want you to, I want you to when, when I dismiss this service, you've got to find three people. And, and it'd be fine if you found me. And you said, I prayed that prayer, and I'm serious about it, Pastor. I, I'm going to testify in front of you, or I'm going to, if you can't get to me, sometimes I get in conversation, but if you can't get to me, then you need to find someone, and you need to look them in the eye. If you're serious, now, if you're just, if you're just, it's a just emotional moment, and you're messing around, then, then you know what, it was of no effect. But if you were serious, you'll find three people, and you'll say, you know what, I prayed that prayer today, and I'm serious about this. And I'm testifying before you right now that I'm going to walk this out. And you'll do that three times. Don't find somebody easy to do it to. Go find someone it's tough to do it to. If, if you're a young person, you need to find a friend and, and look them in the eye and just tell them that. And, and, and if, it, if it latched hold, I think that's fair, isn't it? Letting three people know? I, I, think, I think before God, that could seal it right there. Amen. But this is what we're going to do before we finish today. I want to pray now for all of us, this congregation, and especially those who specifically want to get their edge back. I'm just telling you, as a man who knows what it's like to have lost his edge, and I'm getting that edge back, I, I want you to have your edge back. Are you ready to say, I, I don't have it currently, I don't have it, but I want it, Pastor. I, I want my edge back. I want you to have it back, too. And we're going to pray here in just a moment, and we're going to turn on, we're going to leave with a little bit jumpier uh, music here in just a moment, but... Uh, if that's you right now, I, I want to pray. You, you need to come out and say, okay, I'm coming to the stick. I'm going to be out here, and I just, I'm going to pray for you right now. You just come on, and we're just going to pray together, getting our edge back here. And that's what you're coming for. We're going to pray right now. I'm going to, going to seek God because I need to get the things of the Spirit back happening in my life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Lord. Guys, you can start running. I'm going to run some background music, and it's going to be a little jumpier than usual. But I think we just need to get blasted sort of out of where we've been into where we need to go. And so they're going to run a little Bethany music behind me. And uh, so, guys, just slowly bring that up. Just don't give us the jolt, but if you can slowly bring that up. And I'm going to start praying for people. Holy Spirit, right now I ask that you begin to move with these people. Lord, I pray right now that by the power of the cross, you begin to raise some things up in their life. Raise some things up in their life right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And in just a minute, I'm going to come by and I'm going to, I'm going to touch each of you that have come down here. And as soon as I pray for you, you're, you're released to be able to go back so I know who I prayed for and who I haven't prayed for. But I want you to get ready right now because God's going to pour forth of His Spirit. And guys, you can crank it up a lot higher than that here in just a second. But are you ready? Are you ready to receive your edge back? You ready to get some pink things back? Come on now. I want to get back where I was. I'm gonna, I not only want to get back where I was, I, I want to go farther than I've ever been. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Right now, Lord, I'm just saying, let that edge right now arise in you. Let it arise and come back to you right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let it arise in you right now in Jesus' name. Let it arise in you right now in the name of Jesus. Get your edge back right now. In Jesus' name, let it begin to arise in you. Get your edge back in the things of God right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let it just lift up and arise in you right now. Let that edge in the things of God that you once had come now in Jesus' name. Let it arise right now in the name of Jesus. Let it arise in you. Let it begin to well up, spring up. Let it come in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let it come not just where you were, but where God wants you. Bible says the latter will be greater than the former. Let it be so in these people, Lord. We're declaring that spiritual edge to come back right now. In Jesus' name. Let it come back right now in the name of Jesus. Let it come back to you right now in Jesus' name. Now in Jesus' name. Let it begin to arise right now in your people. Let that edge come back right now in your people. Now, in Jesus' name. God's renewing it and restoring it, and it's happening. There's going to be a distinguishable difference that's going to begin to happen right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let that edge in the things of God begin to happen right now. Right now in you. It's being raised up again. Life is coming back to you right now. Life is coming back to you right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, life is flowing in you and it's coming back to you right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. All those things are being rekindled and refiring right now. Inside of you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It's coming back right now. It's being raised up right now. Right now it is in the name of Jesus. It's coming up. It's being restored right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Who else have I missed here? Step out and make sure I haven't missed you. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
All that's being restored and rekindled right now. That edge is coming back in Jesus' name. That edge is coming back right now in Jesus' name. Let it be restored right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are the army. We are the army and we're marching. Hallelujah. Praise God. You can't be an army unless you got your edge back. You can't be an army unless the power of God's on you. Amen. Lord, seal your work now in your people. Lord, cause them to be of incredible effectiveness. Give them the divine advantage. Lord, not arrogantly, not haughtily, but in all humility and meekness. Lord, let the divine advantage come that out of that meekness, even as Moses was the meekest man that ever was, and yet he had the divine advantage. Lord, let it be said of all of your people that that is how they move in the earth. Lord, let it be so. Let it be established. Let it manifest. Let it bear much fruit. Let it take place starting now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give the Lord one more hand clap. Guys, if you're ready, let's do it together. Let's say it. Lord, I leave your house today ready to reach the greater Charleston area as a credible, spirit-filled Christian who proclaims and demonstrates through freedom wholeness, and reconciliation through my worship, relationship, and practical ministry. Amen. Amen. So be it. Hug neck, shake hands, love each other. God bless you. I hope to see you in the middle of the week now, Wednesday. If not, we'll see you on the Lord's Day. You're released.